You're listening to the Monday Metrospective with Jason Bonington on SEN Track. Welcome to your Monday Metrospective show and it's Toby McKinnon, your host today, Jay Bond, taking a well-deserved Boxing Day off and... A big show ahead, and I'm joined by Kirsten Graham as it's the Dead Set B team. She'll fill in for Steve Cleave. Kirsten, firstly, uh, Merry Christmas to you, and uh, all seasons greeting. I trust you had a great day yesterday. Yeah, thanks heaps, uh, Toby. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. And, yeah, we had a great day yesterday, just a, a nice quiet day, but it was definitely what the doctor ordered. Yeah, 100%. Did the horses get a Christmas present? I'd imagine you're the sort that uh, of person would get out there and each horse would get a special carrot or something, I can imagine. <laughs> Their Christmas present was a day off uh, exercise, uh, Toby. So they, did, they had a day off yesterday and a couple of them had the day out in the paddock. But uh, that was about their Christmas present. <laughs> I went out Christmas Eve and I did uh, did did one of the horses' feet. That was that was her Christmas present. One of my brother's horses' feet, actually. So uh, his Christmas present was getting his horses' feet done for nothing. But uh, that's another story. Uh, we have a massive twelve races to get through. Uh, Vic Bread Super Series first uh, semi final night on Friday night and. Uh, we're going to do it a bit differently. I know normally Metrospective Review Show is done in uh, chronological order from race by race by race, but I just thought it would make sense today. We'll work our way through them. We'll start off with the two-year-old Colts and Gelding section and then the two-year-old Phillies section. We'll do both semifinals and then look at the final as well, and then we'll get into three-year-old Colts and Geldings or and Phillies and then into the four-year-olds as well. So there's a lot to get through. It's going to be a big week on Metrospective, uh, on, on Trot's Life, kicking off with Metrospective Review and uh, it'll be fully focused basically all week on the Vic Bread Super Series with a couple of side notes along the way. I'm currently, Kirsten, in Leeton. It's 39 degrees here. It's stifling hot. I drove up yesterday afternoon. It was. I went down to get breakfast at 9 o'clock, and it was 39 degrees. I'd hate to think what it is in temperature-wise today, and I'm telling you, the temperature has taken it out of me. So I hope you're a bit uh, – it's a bit cooler and a bit nicer where you are. Yeah, no, well, I'm in Bendigo at the moment, and I, I'm not sure what it is at the moment, but I do have all the windows and doors open in the house because it is a little bit humid. Uh, but, yeah, probably not 39 degrees, though, I don't think, Toby. <laughs> yeah, no, she's uh, definitely very, very warm. There is a meeting tonight of notable interest to it, Geelong tonight, which we won't really spend any time on. I know there's a number of really good races tonight. It's basically half a metropolitan card mm. there's five metro races tonight at geelong which uh we won't focus too much on we might touch on them very briefly towards the end of the night some really good races there tonight and uh just for those uh that missed uh darren carroll on he was on with jj earlier and uh, he had interview as his best uh, race four number five interview just heard jj down the line mention it uh, so uh, if you're looking for something tonight, he's keen on interviewing in what is one of many good races tonight. So although we won't be talking about Geelong too much tonight, uh, don't forget they're on tonight and no doubt uh, you'll be able to head to harness.org.au and uh, Robbie Orber's done the form analysis for the meeting and you'll be able to get some tips out of there if you would like them. 
What we might do, Kirsten, we'll get a breakaway nice and early here and give us plenty of time to bury ourselves into the Captain Crunch two-year-old Colts and Gelding semi-finals and final. Let's get our first breakaway. We'll come back the other side and straight into it. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 Retrospective show, and we will kick off in the Captain Crunch two-year-old Colts and Gelding shortly. And firstly, Kirsten, have you heard me belt on about lead rates before? And if I talk lead rates, are you going to have any idea what I'm talking about? Oh, not getting any anything from Kirsten there. Uh, she's uh, dropped off the line, I'd say. So maybe she didn't like lead, my lead rates uh, theory whatsoever at all. So. Hopefully uh, we can get her back up as uh, she's on the on the app at the moment. Hopefully she won't be too far away. So 12 big races to get through. The Captain Crunch Vic Fred Super Series, two-year-old Colts and Gelding's first semi-final. So they ran this in a mile rate of 155.6, which is pretty stunning for the two-year-olds. And... A lot of this talk, we're going to compare, really, aren't we, between semi-finals with a focus towards the final. This uh, That mile rate was 3.1 seconds quicker than the other semi-final, and I'm not sure what that means because maybe that means the Lost Storm had a much easier run of it, but they're in the lead time in 44.5, which equates to a lead rate of 28.4. The quarter's in 30.6, 29.9, 28.1, and 27.8. Eight. Blake Bolak was sent out as second favourite at $3.10 and he it was the eventual winner of the race for Leroy O'Brien and Jason Lee. Rock Artist, the second favourite, uh, ran second. Uh, the favourite, sorry, sorry, ran second. Uh, $2.60 favourite it was. And Don Hugo in third at $3.50. He's the one to watch. Another Emma Stewart runner was a 14-1 chance. It ran sixth. Momentum Swing and Kenley, the other two that got through to the final at uh, Momentum Swing at Bolters odds, 150 to 1. We saw a lot of 150 to 1 chances on the night. Blake Bolwack, he worked to the front early and did it. Did a little bit of work. That 44.5 lead time equates to a lead rate of 28.4, if you're not sure what I mean by that. So if you factor that back to a 400-metre sectional, so you take the 640 metres and factor it out as if it was over 400 metres, they were running 28.4 pace for that first 631 metres it is technically. So that's a pretty solid rate. So he did a little bit of work early. He's All Talk was an interesting run. It worked three wide to the chair for uh, Kate Gath and Ryan Roy Horrock and made a few mistakes. It paced poorly on a couple of occasions. Uh, then it ended up uh, being half sort of with pulled out of the race. Now, this helped because Don Hugo and Rock Hardest were four and five back the running line and it just dragged them up that little bit closer. I mean, Don Hugo was three back, Rock Hardest was four back the running line. And that got him that little bit closer, but evidently it wasn't close enough as Blake Bolak was too strong to the line that last half, 28-1, 27.8, Rock Artis and Don Hugo getting home well from well back, momentum swing, sticking to the market pegs is where you want to be, particularly in these races, if you're not the strongest and best horse in the race. Not sure if Kirsten's back, just jump in and say hello if you can hear us, Kirsten. And... 
A uh, very, very impressive effort for Blake Bolak, a horse out of a mare called Satima Sunset, who's had the eight foals, four winners uh, from that mare, and including a good little horse. He's only a good little horse. A good horse for uh, Johnny Justice, Captain Snooze, who won 11 races. This is clearly a best. He's a funny-looking, funny-going sort of a horse, uh, Blake Bolak, not... Um, not sure uh, he, he's, he's not the f best going sort of horse. Um, so Blake uh, getting the money for Leroy O'Brien as there is still no Kirsten Graham. I'll just see if we can resolve this somehow with her uh, for her info. Uh, no. Um, yeah, so... Unfortunately, I'd love to get... Kirsten was there on Friday night and um, unable to unable to uh, get her thoughts at the moment. With the boys back uh, trying to get her on. Yeah, Kirsten's uh, phone number I've just plugged into the Google Sheet. So you've got it there in the Google Sheet and you might be able to give her a ring and see if we can get her uh get her on um as we've lost connection with kirsten so yeah it was a terrific performance by blake bolak winning the first heat the second semi-final or semi-final i should say the second semi-final was in contrast a little bit the lost storm he drew second the inside of the second row which was going to be a challenge and it's probably the only reason any value came together um, he's it went at, around at a dollar thirty favourite. They went one fifty eight seven as I mentioned earlier. Lead time in forty seven three, which equates to a thirty point two lead time. That's uh, pedestrian speed. Quarters of thirty one one, thirty one seven, twenty nine four, and twenty five point seven. And he was just too good. The Lost Storm beating Perfect Class. It was three dollar eighty second favourite. They're actually they finished in. Favourite order, so the punters got this exactly right. Little Louie was third favourite at 14 to 1 and ran third. Then Al Vinny was fourth favourite at 26 to 1 and ran fourth. Doug Spider was fifth favourite at $34 and ran fifth. And another Nien uh, has scraped into sixth spot, uh, beaten 19.6 metres. This was a real dash home that last quarter in 25.7. Alvinny initially led. Doug's platter got to the leaders back. Perfect class was able to roll forward and work to the front. The Lost Storm initially settling three back in the running line. And uh, he worked to the lead at about the 1,600 metre mark. So he got to the lead at that mile mark. His uh, lead rate, as I mentioned, was 30.2. So he didn't have to work overly hard to get there. Not hard at all uh, to get to the lead at the 1,600 metre mark. And then his first two quarters, 31-1, 31-7, and only 29-4 down the back. It became a real sprint home. I thought Little Louie was the honourable run in the race. Only beaten six metres, sitting parked. But those, those slow, slow times obviously suited him to be close enough at the finish. Questions to come out of this, out of these two heats that I'm really missing Kirsten because I, I planned on asking her these questions because it's a bit strange asking yourself a question and then answering it. But can perfect class, 
can Perfect Class turn the tables on the Lost Storm? So Perfect Class draws gate two in the final. Another Nien is from the pole. So initially you'd think Perfect Class should lead. Now Little Louie is in gate three, so you'd sort of suspect that Little Louie will end up uh, in the chair. And then uh, off the back row is Blake Bolak, rock artist Don Hugo and the Lost Storm. So really, all Perfect Class's main dangers are all off the back row. So there's going to be some sort of an upset. The Peter Gleeson train, it would have been broken in this horse by Johnny McLean, who we had on Trot's Life a couple of weeks ago. It's run second Perfect Class in the Breeders' Crown Final to school captain and beat the Lost Storm there. Uh, of course, perfect class drew inside second row, sat three back the fence, was able to sprint lane through. The Lost Storm had to uh, <coughs> sit outside. The leader, school captain, was unable to run it down, and it finished third. There was some 17 metres between them. So on the basis of that, you'd have to think perfect class is going to get a much better run. Could even hand up to little Louie if Aaron Dunn has a real crack, and I would say perfect class is the one to beat over uh, the Lost Storm in the Captain Crunch Vic Bread Super Series final on on, Saturday, on Saturday night. Saturday night, New Year's Eve. Got to just, uh, yep, definitely Saturday night, New Year's Eve. The days of the week become so difficult at the moment as we uh, go through what day it is. It's Christmas Day. It's Boxing Day. We know all those days, but what actual day of the week it is, New Year's Eve is a Saturday. So I've got a feeling the Lost Storm will be favourite. But I think Perfect Class will be second favourite in the race. Leroy O'Brien with Blake Bolak. How will he go from behind? It was a massively impressive run. Running 155.6 is an enormous effort. This horse ran third in a heat at um, at Shepparton behind Doug's Platter and Rock Artist. He led on that occasion as well. So... And then went on to win on Saturday night. Now, I believe Kirsten is is there on the phone now. Kirsten, uh, we've lost we've lost you. I've spoken constantly for uh, ten minutes. It's thirty nine degrees, and I'm starting to draw a sweat up. How, we we got you back, have we? You did some good pedalling, I heard, uh, Toby. That's good. <laughs> Very good. It's not the best line as as you suspected if we if you were on the phone, but. Uh, I've been through in detail the the, the first two uh, semi-finals. We'll cover the Captain Crunch two-year-old Colts and Geldings. Uh, the Blake Bolak winning. What were your thoughts on that, that first uh, win, uh, the first uh, semi-final with Blake Bolak winning that race? Yeah, well, I thought it was a really big improvement from his heat effort. Uh, Toby really kicked back nice and determinedly for, um, uh, for Jason Lee. So that was a in second oh, place, uh, I thought as well, um, you know, was the favourite sat uh, last in the running line, was three wide with a trail from about the 800 metre uh, mark home. He carved out some pretty impressive sectionals as well, uh, did rock artists, uh, pretty impressive middle and last uh, half sectionals. Um, probably of the others, I think, you know, I, I did hear when I was cutting in and out, uh, you mentioning about Teasel Talk. Um, he was a South Australian visitor, worked to the desk, uh, as you mentioned, and then galloped after getting a little bit keen. But probably one that was a little bit, oh, not back in the field, but one that sort of caught my eye a little bit further back uh, in running fourth was Momentum Swing. I think that he was a pretty good effort uh, running up back off in the back, uh, Toby. 
And what about the second semi-final with the Lost Storm winning? It's not too much to make out of this because they went so slowly, really, and then it just became a 400-yard dash. Yeah, well, 400 meter dash was, was uh, completely right. I think they went uh, 25-7 or something along. Yeah, 25-7 uh, by looking at the computer. So, you know, very quick uh, last quarter there. Um, perfect class was probably good effort being able to make a small amount of ground on the lost storm. But, yeah, he was pretty pretty dominant in his victory there. Was probably a slower mile rate um, overall than the first heat. But, as you said, he, he really just ripped home in that last uh, quick last quarter. Perfect class and little Louie in second and third. They were both very brave, uh, particularly little Louie. His hat's a bit tough. And then probably of the others, again, um, Doug Tutter, he was a really nice effort, I think, running into fifth. He actually ran the quickest um, last quarter of the race. He ran 25-5 his last quarter. Another in the end, ran on nicely as well from back in the field. And probably, you know, there was a couple of others. Otis Rising leaving me out and Aussie Punter. They made some mistakes under pressure, but could be ones that you sort of watch perhaps for the silver or the bronze. So going into the final, Kirsten, I just was surmising that Perfect Class, who beat the Lost Storm home in the Breeders' Crown final, it ran second, the Lost Storm third. It's going to get every chance here. It should roll across another near end relatively easily, I would have thought, and the Lost Storm's going to have to work three wide forward around them at some stage. Perfect Class, to me, is the horse to beat. Yeah, well, potentially so. I mean, I think... You know, we've obviously got to respect um, the Lost Storm. We know that he's got a lot of a lot of ability, a lot of raw talent as well. I think probably, you know, some people might have some knocks on him just because of his failures and some of the other group ones. But I think if you look back at that Breeders' Crown, like that semi-final um, victory was just out of this world. And it was going to be awfully hard for him to try and back that up a week later. I think he was really good still in running third um, in the Breeders' Crown final. So look, I still give him a pretty good chance in, in winning this despite the barrier draw the lost storm. Um, perfect class, I think, you know, we'll probably get every opportunity. He'll probably make the lost storm fit past, I would imagine. Um, you know, and then that's going to give him every opportunity. I think though that then bodes really well for a horse like little Louie even um, Toby. I mean, he's going to sit third. He's potentially then going to get some cover from the lost storm in the running line and, that um, could go really well for him too, sitting 1-1 one, one, or even one out two back if something else come around. So, you know, after sitting tough in the semi-final, he's probably my little roughy, little Louie. I, I had a bit of a theory, knowing Aaron Dunn, he may even press at the start to try and find the front. And if perfect class gets there, she may even hand up to Aaron Dunn, Karen Manning. I wouldn't be surprised if he really tackled her to try and get the front, he would get it on the knowledge that she would think, well, he'll hold it from here? Yeah, well, potentially. I guess on the inside, though, too, you've also got another in the end. Now, it's probably going to be one of the more outsiders, but John Dusters can also be fairly aggressive from the gate. And, you know, this is a group one. You know, you, you might as well chance your arm a little bit if you think your horse has got any gate speed. So, I mean, he could also kick up. So we could sort of have one, two, three, sort of going forward into that first bend. And I think it bodes well a little bit everything we're saying for Blake Bowler because we saw he's Charlie's Angel actually do it. It ended up in the chair from gate nine on, on Friday night. And you'd imagine Jason Lee will be pushing through on the back of perfect class and little Louie. And if Lu little Louie in the most likely scenario ends up in the chair, Jason Lee will be trying to get onto little Louie's back. So he ends up maybe three back the outside when the lost storm comes around. 
Yeah, well, again, potentially. Um, I think Blake Bowler's yeah. got such good gate speed as well. So, you know, tracking through on perfect class if it's able to show gate speed um, would possibly, yeah, suit it really well. And, again, could end up handy in the running line or, yeah, as you said, even maybe three wide early and just pushing forward to a, to a slightly better position in the running line. All right. Uh, I'm not sure if, David, we can get to an early news. It should probably be there. We might... Uh, Get to an early news break. We've got plenty to get through in the second segment. Might even see if we can get a uh, better line for Kirsten during the news break, see if we can get that app back up and running. Uh, we are getting you loud and clear, Kirsten, but it's uh, maybe the clear isn't isn't quite so much. Let's get to an early news break. We'll come back the other side and we'll look at the art major two-year-old fillies where there's a, on paper it appears to be a couple of standouts, but geez, there's a lot of really good runs in these semifinals when you go back through them. The news and back with the Art Major two-year-old Phillies division on the other side. The SEN app, now compatible with Apple Watch. Download today to listen anywhere, anytime. The headlines making SEN news this hour. The Bureau of Meteorology has issued a heatwave warning for parts of the country's southeast. A 38-year-old man has been taken into custody following an intense standoff with police at a home in Sydney's inner west. Emergency warnings are in place for South Australia's Riverland region with the Murray River expected to peak in the next 48 hours. And Australia and South Africa's cricket teams are set to pay tribute to Shane Warne. SEN.com.au Sport is next. Australia captain Pat Cummins has opted to bowl first for the second match in a row, sending South Africa into bat in the Boxing Day test. And Jared Waitley has told SEN Breakfast he hopes Scott Boland will back up last year's test heroics. Because in the law of the, the Boxing Day test, he's six for seven last year. Uh, he's in the top five. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective and it's the two-year-old Phillies divisions of the semi-finals of the Vic Bread Super Series which we look at next and they were races 9 and 10 on Friday night and uh, the Art Major Vic Bread Super Series, $20,000 semi-finals. The uh, first winner was Sweet Bella for Emma Stewart and Mark Pitt. Started a $1.20 favourite, went 157.2. The lead time of 45.9 converts to a 400-metre lead rate of 29.3, which is probably just slightly, it's probably about average for this this class of horse. 30.7, 30 30.9, 28.1, 27.5. She was, she was pretty impressive, uh, Sweet Bella, starting from gate six, but she will have to ha- overcome gate seven on Saturday night, beating To Kill a Delight, who was a $19 chance, which sounds a bit rough, but was actually the third, fourth favourite in the race, To Kill a Delight. Uh, Clive's girl into third spot at 10 to 1. She was 
and something about Eiley was a pretty impressive effort at $23, ran into fourth place, MJB, and our Princess Di filling fifth and sixth placings. Clive's Girl led, of course, to Killer Delight, settled in the chair. Sweet Bella was three wide early and then worked slowly to the lead. Something about Eiley settled five back in the running line and went around three wide in the middle stages of the race to Sit Park, but uh, Sweet Bella proving too strong, Kirsten. Yes, yeah, Sweet Bella was really good in the first uh, semi-final, wasn't she? Uh, only a third start to Toby, which I think is a really promising sign. Yeah, she started off in Humbletonian Day with her first win. She won a heat of this race in a semi-final. Yeah. How far she goes and how good she is, how do we know? Well, I think that's the really exciting thing about, you know, these sort of two-year-old um, group ones. Toby, is that I think, you know, you're sort of looking, obviously, for the one that's going to win the final, but I really like looking at the one that, you know, might be the most progressive heading into their three-year-old year as well. Like, we obviously know that three-year-old years can be the big money years with, you know, your Oaks and your Derbies and all that sort of stuff. So both for the two-year-old Colts and Geldings and the Phillies, I really like looking at that sort of next one, the one that might be the one for the three-year-old year. And, you know, Sweet Valor or even Tequila Delight, who ran second in this um, semi-final, you know, they could both be that one that you might just go, you know, you're a nice two-year-old, but you might be an even better three-year-old. You do a bit of breeding. You wouldn't mind having to kill a delight as a sister to the great Philly Patacular and Idyllic, and she's obviously got plenty of ability herself and get a measure up as a great racehorse. I'll tell you what, there's a few of these I wouldn't mind having, uh, to be completely honest, Toby. But, yeah, look, she isn't she really bred in the purple? I mean, you know, Idyllic is obviously doing a great job upon his return. We're obviously going to talk about him a little bit later as well. And Pectacular, she was just a wonderful mare, got, you know, everything before, um, you know, and she would have probably been a great broodmare if she'd been given the chance as well. So, you know, there's, there's definitely um, some really nice fillies and, and colts and geldings coming through these two-year-old ranks. Certainly is. Uh, race 10 was the second semi-final of the Art Major Vic Bread Super Series and Joyful was sent out a $1.05 favourite from gate 2 and Julie saluted in 158.2, lead time 46.9, <clears throat> which is a lead rate of 29.9 quarters in 30.2, 31.5, 29.4 and 26.6. It beat home Soho Seraphine at $34. dollars be interested to get your thoughts on, on that run. Uh, Perfect in Pink was third at $15. Number uh, Then VMG McRae was fourth at $31. And Credulous and Aureus are uh, filling fifth and sixth placing. And I think there's a fair bit more to talk about in this race. We know Joyful led and won the race. VMG McRae was three wide early, worked around to the chair from three back to the outside. Perfect in pink uh, was three wide and went to the chair. And then Soho Seraphine came three wide and worked yeah. to the chair. So those horses, they kept getting shuffled back. Perfect in pink ended up 1-1. VMG McRae ended up three back to the outside. And... They all seem to finish pretty well, and, and another one back in the field, Aureus, got home really well. So I'd be interested in, in your thoughts on basically all of those, Kirsten, as we as you go through them. Yeah, well, there was a bit happening, wasn't there, in that um, in the running yeah. line in the early sort of stages, and VMG McRae was sort of driven quite aggressively from the from the draw, really, and as you said, sort of took up the, the death seat early, then got a bit of cover from Perfect in Pink, who then, as you said, in turn got cover from Soho Seraphine. I mean, I think Soho Seraphine was, you know, 
quite a good run, really. It made a lot of, mm. um, you know, moving it sat three wide for a large proportion of the early part of the race, too. With a little bit green here and there, but, you know, these are two-year-olds that we're talking about. And when it sat in the death, I mean, it's, you know, that's obviously the hardest position. You know, we call it that because they're, you know, mostly exposed to the, the wind and the breeze. And, you know, it was a fairly still night, but they're still covering, obviously, a lot of extra ground sitting out there. So, you know, for her to still finish, you know, within three metres um, of the winner, I think was a really good effort, um, you know, that from a horse that perhaps was a little bit disrespected in terms of the odds that she put up, um, you know, about a $34 chance, I think she ended up being. Um, pretty, uh, sorry, perfect in pink. Look, possibly had had the opportunity, you know, got covered pretty quickly from Soho Seraphine and then sat 1-1. One, one. So, you know, potentially had its opportunity, but is one that, you know, could be still improving. Um, was first up for the month in between the Breeders' Crown and the Vic Bread in its heat. So, it might still just be needing a couple of more runs under its belt, but it might be ready to prime for the final. BMG McRae was a good effort um, as well with the Jess Tubbs runner, uh, Credulous, as you mentioned. But I think probably everyone in this sort of semi was really watching the run of Aureus. That was a really, really promising effort back in sixth position. Mm. Ran the quickest last mile um, in this race as well, Toby, by almost a full second. It was a heady drive by Greg Sugars at the 400-metre mark. He thought, I've got to run sixth to get in the final here. The best way for me to do that will be to dive in between them. And she's, mm-hmm. we saw her at Maryborough in a Breeders' Crown heat, and she did it. She ran an unbelievable quarter up the back straight. And I, I, I suppose the barrier draw of five has not helped her in the final, but... If she could be tucked away and close enough, she's the sort of horse that could certainly run top three on Saturday night. Yeah, absolutely. And I think probably from that draw, you know, that would be... I I would think that would probably be the tactics with her. I mean, you look at the horses drawn inside her. Credulous, well, I'm not sure about its gate speed, but Alex Ashwood and Taylor French typically do drive their horses fairly aggressively if there's the opportunity to do so. Our Princess Di will probably not go forward, but Joyful and Tequila Delight, um, three and four, they're likely to try and get nice forward positions. So, you know, drawn out in barrier five for us is going to be a little bit tricky, but... um, yeah, I think, you know, if they can tuck her away quickly on the running line or, you know, even, you know, we're talking about two-year-olds here, so, I mean, it's, it's still not beyond the realms of possibility that she could still even end up in the peaks from Barrier 5. And if you've got a tear away, True. you know, leading two, perhaps, um, it's not beyond the, the possibilities. And if that was the, the case, well, tucked away on the peg, she'd be really dangerous. Probably another horse, um, Toby, that has really just kept catching my eye, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this person at... Um, later on in the show as well is Clive's girl with Charlene Guffman. I mean, the effort that she's doing in terms of breeding and training a very small team. Um, she's got two half-siblings in Clive's girl and also he's Charlie's angel qualified um, for the final. I, I think that that's a, a really good effort and Clive's girl was a good effort uh, third uh, in, I think it might have been in the first heat actually, but uh, in the first semi, yeah, sorry. But um, yeah, another one that's potentially a little bit of a smoky chance drawn barrier nine. She is, and I've got Charlie lined up to come on the show tomorrow at twelve o'clock. Oh, so we'll have, yeah, we'll have a good chat to Charlie then. Uh, I, I still can't get over Perfect in Pink in the Breeders' Crown Final. She drew Gate Seven. She went all the way back to last, and she ran third in that race. She was the run of the race, really. 
If Credulous can hold up and find the leaders back and Perfect in Pink mm-hmm. ends up three back the f- marker pegs, I still think, as you said, she she's only sort of second up in a way. She's she's improved each time. I wouldn't rule her out of the race off a really cheap run. If they run hard early, if Joyful, Tequila Delight and, and Sweet Bella do a bit of work early, she just might be the other Emma Stewart one that, that'll be that'll be coming home hard late and She's the one really cursing. I still can't get over that Breeders' Crown third in the final. Yeah, no, and I thought it was a great effort uh, there too. And look, that that cheap run that she might get on the pegs might be just what she needs because she she did do a lot of work in the Breeders' Crown um, final. She did, you know, in her heat as well. So, you know, just maybe a a quieter run is just what she needs to really show her best. But I think she's, you know, as I said, continuing to improve each start. Um, Yeah, Probably a, a really good draw for her, I think, particularly, yeah, as you said, if um, Credulous manages to hold leaders back. And, of course, Soho Seraphine, the other one, that if is if they do get do a lot of work early and she's safe for one run as well, uh, I'm sure she'll be getting home really strongly. Let's take another break uh, and we'll come back the other side and we'll move into the three-year-old fillies I've got down for next. Next is the three-year-old fillies. Uh, in the, they're the always be Mickey three-year-old Phillies division, the semi-finals and the final we'll look at after the back of this break. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective Review. Toby McKinnon, your host, live from Leeton. I'm so excited about the Leeton Breeders' <laughs> Plate tonight. I can barely contain it. Uh, it's going to be a big night. I am back tomorrow, and unbelievably so, I've uh, just been texting with Tyson Link, the owner of a horse called Encipher, and we're up to the Alabama Always Be Mickey Vic Bread Super Series 3-year-old fillies, the first semi-final taken out by Encipher. She was a dollar oh four favourite. She went one fifty seven eight lead rate of thirty point one off a forty seven point two lead time. The quarters thirty point six, thirty one seven, twenty eight two, and twenty six point two. She was just too good. Beating Beach Life at thirteen dollars. Soho Historia into third spot at eleven dollars. Mitzi said, who no doubt was the run of the race, really, wasn't it, at 150 to 1 and only beaten 7 metres. Leave your hat on at 150 to 1, and I'll be doing that this afternoon in the heat here and non-pareil running into sixth spot. And Kirsten, what else can we say about Encipher? I will give you some facts and figures, but, gee, she's a stunning filly, isn't she? Uh, she's just very, very exciting. I know that I, I said on Saturday, uh, Friday night, sorry, that, you know, it, it might be a little bit soon to sort of, well, maybe even not a possibility at all, I suppose, but to mention her with ladies in red, but there, there is just sort of something well, that reminds you a little bit of her and, um, yeah, she, she just doesn't wear a lot of gear. She's just a thorough professional and does what she has to do, which is, is very similar to ladies in red. Well, funny you should say that because at the end of her three-year-old career, ladies in red had earned 569000 If in Cypher mm. wins Saturday night, she goes past her to five seventy-five. Yeah. She goes past ladies in red. Only the legendary Frith, who is a Riverina horse, I've, I've got to say this at the moment, just in case <laughs> I belt my door down. 
Frith earned six hundred and eighteen thousand as a two and three year old. Like that's that's an extra forty odd thousand over and above ladies in red and in cipher. It's hard to imagine what other races she could have won. Well, yeah, that's exactly it. And I mean, we know too how well managed ladies in red has had been all throughout her two year old and three year old years. But yeah, and Cypher's just equally as exciting. And look, we know with Emma Stewart horses that, you know, she doesn't typically have a lot of gear on them. You know, maybe the occasional set of Dolly Vardens or Block Lickers or, or you know, something something mm. else that in Cypher wears nothing on her head at all. She's got complete open bridle, um, just the very, very basic gear. And she just goes out there and she, she knows what she needs to do. I think Kate Gass is very excited about her as well and, you know, knows that, She's, you know, getting to drive and be part of something pretty special. And, look, the, the draw, probably the final, is going to really test her. Um, you know, probably initially Barrier 1 looked very, very good. But then when Relentless Me drew Barrier 2, I think it is right next door to her, that, you know, just raises a little bit of a, a, little bit of a query about gate speed and, you know, the tactics early doors. But, yeah, I tell you, she's just still so dominant that I think it's going to be really difficult for anything to beat her in the final. 100%. And uh, was there anything back in the field that you wanted to comment on before we moved oh. on? The, the ho- Missy said, Toby, as you said, it was just a really, really good effort. Probably in hindsight, everyone might have just overlooked it a little bit and probably shouldn't have. It, but running the heat was super as well. And it had been trialling the house down as well prior to that. It was first up. Um, in the heat after like 18 months off, 15 or 18 months off. So there's obviously been a little bit of an issue there, but it's come back really well as a three-year-old. And look, it's going to need a little bit of luck in the final. Um, where's it drawn in the final? Seven. So it's going to need a lot of luck. But look, I think it was a definitely an eye-catching run and perhaps just one to just keep a little bit of an eye on and, and black book for maybe over the coming months. But it looks like it's a nice little filly. Yeah, she's going to win a few races over the coming months. Don't worry about mm. that off the back of that because she's, she's so lowly rated. Uh, the other semi-final, which was way down uh, race... Where is it? Uh, I've got to find it now. It was... Race 8. Um, race 8. Amor Vita was the winner in 155.8, some two seconds quicker than in Cyphers. And the lead time was 45.1, which was some two seconds quicker than in Cypher. That equates mm. to a 28.8 quarter rate. Quarters in 30.6, 30.6, 28 and 26.8. Very, very similar uh, the last mile in those sectionals. A Morvita winning at $5.50. It was a, it was a great call by uh, Dan Malecki saying uh-huh. she's back, a Morvita. She's back. Petalonte running second. Talk time in the third. Relentless Me, who you mentioned previously in the fourth spot. She had gate six. She's got gate two in the final, which is a big difference. Star Celebrity uh-huh. and Joe and Joe filling the fifth and sixth placing. Relentless Me led and Petalonte did the retake. And I think that's something to consider for the final as well. But it might be Petalonte. It might be in Cypher that does the retake. Amor Vita settled in the 1-1. Talk time settled four back the outside. Uh, she just she just was uh, too good in the end of Morvita. She was just close enough, if that makes sense, without mm. doing a whole heap of work in the one-out, one-back position. And, uh, yeah, she, she was too strong to the line. And this is going to – it's really going to line up as a wonderful final. Well, she's drawn barrier three, too, also in the final. So, you know, mm-hmm. I know that she's gone through a little bit of a period of oh, – 
it's not re-education, but just sort of having to learn to settle Lamore Vita. Um, you know, she, she sort yeah. of got used up in Queensland and then sort of got some bad habits after that and started pulling. And so, look, I, I don't know if they chance their arm and go forward with her um, in the final just because of that. I think they'd probably rather see her to finish off and get every possible chance because if she goes out and pulls her chances away, well, you're none the wiser in terms of knowing whether she could win or not. So I wouldn't be surprised if they just take the conservative route with her and get her to settle and, and hope that she'll finish off over the top of them. But, you know, the temptation from Barrier 3, you know, is obviously going to be there. So that will be really interesting to see, Toby. But, you know, potentially the retake is up for grabs within Cypher. Um, Relentless Me, as you said, led from Barrier 6, um, in this second semi-final, and then had the the retake with retake sorry with Pediante. So, um, yeah, potentially in Fife is going to try and do the same in the final, drawn barrier one and relentless me drawn barrier two. But this this heat was just a little bit of a different sort of heat, wasn't it? They obviously ran quicker time overall, mm. quicker mile rate, um, and Amore Vita did it in a little bit of a different style to in Fife. But I think you know, I think. Cypher still just has the, the nudge. Um, I know that she's probably got the slightly trickier draw, but she just seems to be the the more sort of complete racehorse out of the two semi-final winners. I mean, Amore Vita, no disrespect yep. to her, but, you know, we've just got that little query about whether she can settle, whether she, you know, probably where she ends up in the run too. Like, if she ended up punching the breeze, I don't think that that would be really where you'd want to be outside in Cypher. So, um, yeah, it, it's definitely shaping up as a battle. It's probably a more exciting battle with that, you know, second uh, sorry, second semi-final win from an Amore Vita and definitely agree with Dan Malecki. Like, that, that was the most promising run that she's had um, for, for quite a while now that, you know, she is potentially getting back to her best. Uh, just the eight Emma Stewart runners in the final, I, I know we talk yeah. about it a lot, isn't it? Yeah, just just the lazy eight runners. Um, what a it's a great training effort, I think. Uh, but look, probably another one just to quickly mention in that semi final. Look, potentially not a winning chance, I don't think. But one that wasn't a bad effort was Star Celebrity. Um, it took a couple of rough strides around the home turn when they were sort of getting up and rocking and rolling, and she still finished off nicely in fifth, but got a bit of a t- tricky draw um, with Barrier Five as well. Um, but, yeah, great training effort by Emma Stewart um, to get, yeah, the lazy eight runners into into that three-year-old Philly final. If there's a lot of speed on in this race, we've only got a couple of minutes, we've got to get a breakaway. It's a lot of speed on in this race. Soho Astoria came from five back the outside to win a Queensland Oaks where they ran the last quarter in 28-2, mm. I think. If they go hard up front, she's the one that uh, she should be sort of somewhere in the running line, three, four back the running line. She'll be the one that could finish over the top of them, I would have thought. And I didn't think she was a bad effort in the first semi-final either. She had to sit tough there and, and just probably felt it a little bit the, the last little bit that, you know, as we sort of touched on a couple of times, these fillies have only had a couple of starts, really. So she should be really starting to peak for the final. So she could be a little bit of a knockout chance. That wouldn't surprise me at all, Toby. Right, let's get a break away. We've still got the three-year-old Colts and Geldings and the two divisions of the four-year-olds, the Mares and the Entires and Geldings, to get through in the second hour. We'll get a break away, and the news as well uh, will be jammed in there. So, Curtis, we'll get back to you at about uh, 12.02 after the news. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. 
It is the Monday Metrospective Review. Big second hour still to come. We'll look at the ride high. Three-year-old Colts and Geldings. Vic Bread semi-finals and the final. The Rock and Roll Heaven. Four-year-old in ties and Geldings. Vic Bread semi-finals and the final. And, of course, the Vincent. Four-year-old Mayor's Vic Bread semi-finals. All thanks to Alabar and all on Metrospective in the next hour after the 12 o'clock news. Oh, and we we have no twelve, we have no twelve o'clock news. Oh well, the news, the new, the breaking news. No, no twelve o'clock news. That is, uh, that is new to me. There's, the, I didn't get the news. There was no news, but that's okay. We'll we'll just keep going. Then we'll go straight into the three-year-old Colts and Geldings semi-final, and we'll ride high as we go into what I see. I always see the three-year-old Colts and Geldings generally as. The key feature, I know that's that's going to upset a few perhaps with runners in the in the other races, but it's like uh, the stallion-making division, I suppose, of any series. And the first of the semi-finals on Saturday night was taken out by He's a Son of a Gun, and he is. He is a son of Art Major, and the first semi-final, the winner... He's a son of a gun in 154.6. Lead time of 46 seconds equates to 29.3, which is not that quick for this standard of horse and three-year-olds. Quarters in 29, 29.8, 28.3, and 26.5. Of course, he's a son of a gun. He's back to defend his title. He won the two-year-old final last year, which... Seems to be somewhat forgotten by a few, but uh, he is back uh, to challenge this race once again. He beat Cobber at $126 into second place, and I gave Mick Bellman the drive of the night, I reckon, on Cobber in the second place. Interest-free at $3.50, ran third. Kafaji, the $11 chance, was fourth. Catch a wave at $1.50, ran fifth, then... Uh, on face value, when you hear that, you probably think he was a bit disappointing catch a wave, but... I'm not too disappointed in his effort, and brutally handsome, of course, finishing in sixth spot. He's a son of a gun, led early. Cobber worked forward to the chair. Interest-free was 1-1. Celestio Matusa, who's always driven tough and was a gallant effort, he ended up finishing seventh. He was three wide through the middle to the chair. Interest-free uh, went ahead of Celestio Matusa, so he got uh, back into the 1-1 position effectively. Whilst all this happened, Catchawave didn't go. Sat last, was three wide for the last 1,000 metres. And just remember that last half, 28-3, 26.5. Interest-free went three wide at the 400. Catch-a-wave ended up four wide uh, around that final bend. was a pretty big effort, Kirsten, and I wasn't so disappointed. I'm not sure how you saw Catch-a-wave and the running of the first semi-final of the three-year-old Colts and Geldings. Yeah, probably when I first saw it, Toby, to be, to be honest, I was a little concerned, but then went back and had another look at it, and, yeah, he, he was a pretty good effort, um, I think, under the circumstances. He said that last half, you know, being three and four wide, that that would have really probably put the best of horses undone. So I think he battled on really well. Probably my little concern for him is he's drawn, you know, somewhat similar in the final. So, you know, they might need to drive him just a, a touch more positive perhaps in the final um, to give him his best chance because, yeah, obviously when you're trying to come three and four wide, you know, in a, in a last half like that, um, it's going to be a big challenge. But for any horse. But, yeah, I wasn't too disappointed when I went back and had another look at it. I think probably the, the key thing with Catch-A-Wave 
Um, and, you know, I know I was in a very privileged position on Friday night being down in the parade ring and whatnot, but he was very relaxed. And I think that that was a, a really good sign. You know, anyone that has sort of seen any of his races knows that he's a little bit of a quirky cat. He can get sort of up on his toes a little bit, but out in the parade ring, he was very relaxed. He walked out onto the track. Um, he was the last horse to head out onto the track. I saw probably the initial sort of 50 metres of him going out onto the track and he was quite well behaved. So that's a huge tick um, for his connections and for, for Kate and Andy, I'm sure. And, you know, I sort of said on Friday night that maybe he needed that nervous energy to run well, but that was also, you know, before I'd gone and had another look at the race and, and realised he had actually gone quite well um, catch away. But, look, there was, you know, all credit to the winner as well. As you said, he's the son of the guns, the defending champion. We possibly forget about that a little bit. And he had a little yeah. blip on his radar and the Breeders' Crown. But, um, yeah, he was, you know... We said before that uh, Amore Vita was back. Well, he's a son of a gun, was back in a big way as well. He was he was sensational in winning this semi. He certainly was. And uh, the, yeah, interest-free was pretty good as well. And Gafaji was not too bad from three back the fence. And catch a wave, of course, we've covered and brutally handsome sneaking in who's a horse. I know you mentioned earlier looking at horses that will mature as three-year-olds. I still think Brutally Handsome's not mm. quite there yet. He's he's like a four-, five-year-old type horse, isn't he? And always has been the whole time, I reckon. Yeah, he's... he's um. I haven't I haven't seen too much of him in the parade ring, to be honest, but he, I think he's quite a, a sizable sort of horse, so he might just need a little bit more time to, to grow. But probably, you know, of the others, I mean, Cobber was obviously a great run, as you mentioned, um, got driven very different to how he's normally driven. So I think, you know, the fact that he did a bit of work and still finished off was a good sign. Interest-free, look, probably initially, it was another one that I was a little bit disappointed with on first watch, but... I sort of went back and had a look at his um, at his run, and I think he was just driven, not conservatively, but just with with next week in mind. And I think that he'll probably be driven a little bit more aggressively um, on Friday night. Kafaji was a good effort from from where he sat in the run. You know, we know that he's obviously got good gate speed that was taken away from him, and I think he did a good job running in fourth. But yeah, again, it's one of those races that you probably could just earmark a couple of others and know that they're probably just. You know, not quite with the, the finalists, but they're still very nice horses and their their time will come. The second semi-final of the Ride High Vic Bread Super Series was race six on Friday night. And maybe this was the run of the night. The winner, he's Charlie's Angels. 154.5 the Angel went at 44.1 lead rate, which is 20, a lead time of a lead rate of 28.1. So that's like running a quarter and a half at 28.1 speed. They went really hard early. The middle stage is 29.7, 29.5, so nothing over 30 there. And then home in 28.9 and 27.1. He's Charlie's Angels did it at the start and did it at the finish. Was ultra impressive, winning at $6. Defeating Lightning Dan at $3.90. Hot Deal uh, ran a great race in third place. Uh, it went around at $4.80. And Raw for Roscoe, who no doubt we'll touch on, was terrific at 550. Don Lewin, Major Major, the other two filling fifth and sixth. 
Lightning Dan worked to the lead early and handed up to Hot Deal. He's Charlie's Angel, poked through from the second row and ended up, had one little go at the lead and then there was horses three wide. So uh, ended up, uh, Aaron Dunn conceded, basically didn't want to go to war in a semi-final. So he's Charlie's Angel, took to the 14.50 metre mark to get to the front in that hot tempo of 28-1 lead rate. Uh, Don Lou ended up, coming around mid-race, three wide to the chair, Raw for Roscoe, then came three wide from the 1,300 to the 900 metre mark, and it was a great bit of driving from Juanita Breen. Dan Malecki commented on it. I think she went at the exact right time. Yeah. Uh, and there was another great comment. Charlene Gussman and, and Juanita Breen, eye to eye at the 400 metre mark in a semi-final. I love seeing those things. Uh, it was a great result and so many good runs, Kirsten. Oh, yeah, this was a, a really good semi-final. I mean, so was the first one, but we obviously had sort of a, a tear-away winner where this one was a, a little bit more competitive in the run to the line. Um, he's Charlie's Angel. We've already sort of touched on him a lot, but, you know, he was driven quite aggressively from that second-row draw. And I was a little bit concerned um, with that sort of tactic. He's the type of horse that can get a little bit hot and a bit fierce in running, but he actually settled relatively okay for, for Charlene Guffman and... You know, once he sort of got the lead, he was always going to be difficult to run down. I mean, this is the horse to Toby that, you know, his very first start, he basically had social media just talking about him for, for days afterwards. He ran, he won his first start at um, Cobram and won by like 20-something metres as well and went a sensational mile rate. And as I said, just had everyone talking about him. And, you know, it, he, you know, he's had his ups and downs in his career, but it was a really good sign for him um, on Friday night to be able to, to lead throughout after, you know, burning early, needing to set up, needing to settle and, um, yeah, still able to see it out in the finish. You mentioned Lightning Dan and Hot Deal. They were both really good as well. Hot Deal just sat on the pegs and let everything can unfold around him and found the line really well um, in that quick last quarter of 27-1. Hot Deal was a good effort. He's probably nearly racing in career-best form at the moment, I think, Hot Deal. I think he'd won four in a row leading into Friday night and was really good in third. Um, again, just had a bit of speed happening around him and Aaron Dunn had to relent and, and sit behind the leader and was only just beaten by his Charlie's Angel as well. And Yeah, Raw for Roscoe was a great run. I mean, he obviously captured everyone's attention in the heat with, um, with that sensational effort. Um, when he had to sort of do it from both ends. He had to do it from, I think it was, yeah, about the bell out where um, Juanita Breen went three wide round to the death seat. And she, she had to go when she went. Um, I think, you know, she'd left it a little bit too late. It was going to be a way too hard a task. So it was a great drive, as you said. And, um, look, he, he ran fourth. He, he was just sort of peaking on his run, but he is the absolute fighter raw for Roscoe. I mean, he, he'll never give up the ghost. He gives you 110% every start. And, the, the pennies really dropped with him, and if he can get a, a slightly easier, easier run in the final or a really good toe-in, um, he's definitely a big chance. There's so many chances in this final. Oh, yeah, his hot, <laughs> hot, hot, So in barrier order, Hot Deal could win off a soft pegs run. He's Charlie's Angel can lead and win the race. Catch a wave 
off the uh, being third up, I think he'll come out of this uh, semi-final really well. He could work to the front, lead, and win. He's a son of a gun. Won it last year. He's got dynamic gate speed. He's a son of a gun. I actually think Matty Craven may cross them all and then hand up to something. He could win. Interest three, mm-hmm. we've seen tackle a Geelong Cup. He could win the race. Raw for Roscoe off the second row. He could win, and I'll tell you what, she'll be an emotional old night for for the connections. <laughs> if he does win, it's um, Roscoe's actual birthday is New Year's Eve as well. The, the late Roscoe, who the horse is named after, uh, he died, of course, from a rare cancer, which the Harness Charity Challenge, this horse was auctioned off and the money donated to that rare cancer. So mm-hmm. uh, to that rare well, cancer fund. That would be fund. a wonderful story. Oh, well, yes, it would be. And Lightning Dan, there's one factor about Lightning Dan. It's drawn 12, but there's one factor. It's a final, and the trainer's name is Jason Grimson. <laughs> so you cannot rule out Lightning Dan, Kirsten. No, you'd be pretty uh, pretty silly too. <laughs> oh. yeah, we know that he can uh, make them rise for the occasion. I have to correct myself too. I think I said before that Catch a Wave was drawn off the second row. He's obviously not. He's, he's drawn off the, the front row in Barrier 3, as you just said. So, you know, that... that um, you know, definitely, that's a very speedy front line, isn't it? Isn't it? Which which makes me think a Raw for Roscoe or a Lightning Dan. If they go, if they don't sort yeah. themselves out quickly, that those horses are in this race well and truly. Well, even Cobber. I mean, I know Cobber's typically known as yep. a leader, but he's got a very good turn of foot. If he gets the right trail in as well, he could be coming down the outside as well. This could be one of the the more competitive finals, I think, um, Toby. Yeah, if I gave you $5 now and said you had to put it on one horse, um, I'm not sure where you would go. I'm not sure where no. I would go either, in fact. No, no. There's a lot of head and heart going on here. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, a, oh, it's, a, it's a great final. And, um, yeah, it's that's going to be probably nearly the race of the night for me as well. And I, I'm a bit like you. I don't like picking that when you, you know, you've obviously got owners and everything, you know, listening and, and wanting you to say that about their race. But for me, that... That front line is really going to make this race, and it's going to be a very tactical affair. 100%. Let's take a break. We'll come back the other side, and we will go into the four-year-old entires and geldings, which is a stunning race, really. This race could be a grand circuit race in, in a bygone era, really. It's an absolutely stunning race. It's inter-dominion finalists. All sorts, and the favourites probably not going to be a, even a horse that went through the Inter Dominion series. Let's get to a break. We'll come back, and it'll be the Rock and Roll Heaven Vic Bread Super Series four year old Entires and Geldings Chance. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective show and it's the rock and roll heaven four-year-old end tyres and geldings that we look at here and we've got plenty of time Kirsten there's a lot we can go through the winner of the first semi-final was Better Eclipse the horse I famously uh, said middle (laughs) of last year that he could make a Victorian derby final and Jason Bonington told me I was out of my freaking mind was the quote from Jason (laughs) and I've reminded Jason now I reckon a thousand times since and he hates me mentioning it but uh, he went around $1.15 and he was too good. Lead time 45.1 which is a a lead rate of 28.8 
Mile rate 155.2, which is probably standard for a horse of his abilities. Sectionals 30.530, 28 28.1 and 26.6. It was a real workmanlike performance by Better Eclipse, beating Arden's ace for Matty Craven. He would have been stoked with the effort of that horse, only being beaten ahead. Jillaby Dynamite in the third was a terrific run. Ultimate Vinny in the fourth with Sam Barker and Nathan Jack, then La Captain and Captain Belisario. Arden's ace uh, shot off the gate as Matty Craven's horses seemed to be able to do and worked to the lead. Jillaby Dynamite went to the chair from gate five. Ultimate Vinny did a little bit of work early and rolled to the chair. I think this was probably Ultimate Vinny's best ever career run. He ended mm. up... Uh, yeah, getting getting um, better eclipse coming around from three back the outside to the chair to give Ultimate Vinny some cover. Captain Belisario from well back in the field, five back on the outside, was three wide from the 800 metre mark and ran on into sixth placing. They were six great runs going into a final. Probably the only horse, really the other one that would have been good to get in was Yam Buckingham, but you couldn't fit them all in, Kirsten. No, that's right, and I'm sure that um, Jay Bond's had to eat his words a few times. But uh, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you bring that up to him all the time, because, because uh, yeah, it's nothing, nothing better than reminding Jay Bond of something famous that you, that you said. But yeah, isn't he? Hasn't he been a sensational horse, particularly the last twelve months? Um, better eclipse, yeah. probably even, you know, last nine months even. He's had a, a fantastic, um, yeah preparation and yeah he's he's a very exciting horse and he's already sort of proven himself as he said on that grand circuit trail probably you know if you look at the margins and you go oh you're only one by a head but he he did all that he had to do and I don't think the intention never was from from Jeff Tubbs or Greg Sugars to to completely gas him they said in the post-race interview as well that they've just been trying to manage him obviously the Inter-Dominion you know the three runs in or four runs that might have nearly even been in, in two or three weeks, you know, not super ideal for a horse his age and, and his maturity level. And they've just been trying to manage him and, and get him through with the the Vic Fred also, not the, the grand final per se, but the grand final obviously for this year. And then he'll probably just have a, a little bit of a lighten off and then they'll head into some of those races again early um, in the new year. But he, he was just, yeah, as I said, did everything that he needed to do it and won well. Arden's ace was a great effort, and he was another one that was a really good effort in the semi, in the heat, sorry, and then backed it up into the semi final. Come off the arm again, which was not a surprise um, to me anyway, because I think he comes from six or seven in the in the heat and and led. So I wasn't surprised when he did the same from barrier four. Um, led. Um, and did a, did a great job having better eclipsed outside him and really pushed him, as I said, to to the line. Um, you know, being really great in his, his two or three runs for, for Matty Craven. Jellyby Dynamite, as you said, was a great run. Ultimate Vinny, I really agree with what you just said, um, Toby, that that might have been Ultimate Vinny's best run. Um, I know he ran fourth. He was beaten, what, just over a length, but it was a great drive by Nathan Jack to, to drive him so positively at the start from Barrier 7 and land that position directly behind Better Eclipse. And he was, it was a good run by him, by a horse that, you know, we probably know as a leader or behind leader. So, you know, I know he's still sitting there with a little bit of cover, but he, he had to cover a bit of extra ground early doors and also in the running line. And like Captain was good um, as well. You know, he's sort of always that little query, I suppose, against this class of horse, but he's proving himself well. And Captain Balisario will... You know, we know that he's got a lot of raw ability there in sixth place and he's just having to learn to, to settle and, and 
be a little bit more of a racehorse. And that was the, the tactics with him again um, on Friday night. Just went back, was safe for one run with them, um, with the trail and finished off well. Yeah, 100%. He has had a uh, some gear changes done to Captain Belisario just to get him to settle a little bit. Don't ask me the exact gear changes. Jack did, Law did tell me, but uh, that stuff's not uh, my forte, knowing and remembering <laughs> those things. Right, the other semi-final... Well, it was somewhat different, I suppose. The It was an Emma Stewart first five home, which is mm. stunning, really. The winner, Major Moth, ran 154.3, nearly a second quicker than Better Eclipse, but I'm um, pretty sure Gavin Langham and Greg Sugars just uh, let Better Eclipse roll home over the last uh, 400 metres, and I did mean to uh, make that mistake, Greg, if you're listening. 43.6 was the lead time, which is a lead rate of 27.8, which is pretty hard going to run 27.8 for 631 metres at that speed. Our quarters, 31.7. He just got a breather there, 29.3, 27.8, Jeez, he was impressive, Major Moth winning. Defeating Naratak Prince, who's another one that comes out of an Inter-Dominion series. He was a $1.50 favourite, Major Moth. Naratak Prince, $14. Idyllic running third at $6. Act Now at $4. And Longfellow at $81. And then one big shoe filling sixth position. He's a cool Mac for Matty Craven in no surprise uh, with a Matty horse. Got off the gate quickly and led and handed up as Idyllic uh, basically did the old retake back from Matty. Major Moth then rolling to the lead. Naratak Prince settled uh, one by one. Went around to the chair to get the one out one back once again when Act Now came around to the chair and Longfellow settled four back the outside. Uh, he was, he's just so impressive, this horse, Major Moth. And it was this week, last year, I had Len Parker on the show and had a great conversation with Len about uh, Major Moth. It might have been actually two years ago now uh, when he was in the two-year-old division of this race, Major Moth, way back when. He ran third, evidently, as a two-year-old behind Kimball and Idyllic. Yeah, no, he was very, very impressive, um, as you said, Toby, and you know, just led and was able to dictate. Um, Act now had to sit outside him, did a bit of work early and then had to sit outside him. And look, probably, you know, there might have been some people that might have been a bit disappointed with Act now's effort. But I think, you know, all things considered, again, another horse that's come through the Inter-Dominion series, you know, you've, you've got to time them for those finals. They can't go out and have a final every single start. So I wasn't yeah. um, concerned at all with Act now's effort. And, just also, again, you know, I'm obviously in a, in a privileged position being down in the parade ring, but he was just a little bit up on his toes in the parade ring. He was neighing and, and calling out and stuff and being a little bit um, culty as well, which Jodie Quinlan did say to me, you know, isn't always the best sign with Ack now. So probably the fact that he was able to get his head in the game and race as well as what he did, I think, is a, a good sign for him. And, you know, I, I definitely wouldn't be discounting him still in the final despite that fourth. Near Attack Prince, as you said, running in second was an awesome effort as well. Another horse that's come through the Inter-Dominion series did not deserve to be the $14. Um, you know, I know when you've got a dollar fifty favourite that someone's got to be the slightly longer odds, but he, he didn't deserve those odds. And idyllic, well, he's been fantastic upon his return as well, hasn't he? Um, as well as Major Moth. And, yeah, those, those four were, were great runs. Longfellow was a good run as well in fifth. I mean, it was a much bigger, sorry, a much better um effort than in his heat so that was positive signs as well for them and, and even one big shoe as the or show sorry as you said um 
yeah, another good effort as well coming from back in the field. But, yeah, Major Moss has obviously been very, very impressive in, upon his return. Um, he had nearly 12 months off, didn't he? So he's done a, a great job. Probably the only little query that I have about him, Toby, and we're probably not going to find out in the final, is just that in those, you know, three or four starts now that he's had upon his return, he's, he's led in every single one. So I guess my just little query is, you know, how he'd go doing it tough, but... We might not find out in the final either with his drawn, you know, trees. He's likely to probably get the lead again. Yeah, well, maybe. That's Greg Sugars with Better Eclipse inside him. It makes it all very interesting, doesn't it? So does Better Eclipse try and, and lead and hold up or do you think Major Moth will end up in front? Well, I don't think Better Eclipse has got sort of natural gate speed. So... You know, I, I guess, you know, they, they've probably got to have a little look if they can see if they can muster enough speed. But I guess then you sort of have some flashbacks to perhaps that last Inter-Dominion heat where he, he made a little bit of a boo-boo, um, better eclipse. So, and I'm not saying that was because they were trying to get gate speed, but just that sort of thing just cre- creeps into your mind just a, a little bit. But, yeah, Greg Sugar sort of said um, on Friday night that he, he doesn't have natural gate speed. He was even a little bit worried about him tracking through behind better eclipse in the semis. So, you know, I I don't know if they push the button from barrier to whether they decide to sort of sit tough and, and let Major Moth have the front. I'm not, yeah, not sure. Act now went around favourite in an inter-dominion final only weeks ago. And I, unless he unless he's had been freshened up somewhat at home and he really improves out of this run, it's almost impossible to see how he could win this race. He's going to have to come around three wide into the chair and, you know, Major Moth and Better Eclipse are obviously going to have much easier runs than that now. It's it's hard to fathom a horse could be favourite in an Inter-Dominion final and, and almost it's hard to fathom how he could win a four-year-old size final. Look, mapping races is not my forte, um, Toby, <laughs> but look, I, I really see Major Moth leading. I see Better Eclipse sitting in the death, and I think Acknow has to come around and offer him cover. And so then that's a win for better Eclipse, and it's probably not the best play for Acknow. Now, I know Jodie Quinlan's been saying for for weeks and weeks and weeks um, and months probably even that Acknow is good with a sit. Um, So whether they try that um, in the final and and he is safe for that one run, then... You know, I said to you before that it's nothing better than showing up Jason Bonington. Well, that would that would show up Jay Bond because she's um, been saying that to it be, to him, sorry, for weeks. So, look, it might be the play, but it's an awfully risky play when you've got Major Moss that at the moment when he's leading looks like he can do it, you know, at both ends of the race. So it'll be a really interesting race in terms of who sits up outside Major Moss, whether it is better Eclipse has to stay there or whether Acknow comes around. And as I said, that would be a big tick for better Eclipse, I would have thought, and would make it really difficult for him to to be beat with, you know, a little bit of cover. But in saying that too, Major Moss, as we just said, has been so dominant and leading that maybe neither of them can run him down. It, it's going to be a really interesting race. I think the barrier draw has definitely thrown a couple of curveballs. Even Ultimate Vinny, like the way that he was driven in the semi, he might just roll forward again and see if he can land that early death seat position and get some cover as well from barrier six. So, you know, and play similar tactics as what he did in the semi-final and see if he can finish off similar as well. So probably the biggest, the biggest, um, oh, not question mark, that's probably not the, the right thing, but obviously Arden's ace drawing the second row, you know, he's showing gate speed in those 
you know, Heat and the semi-final. So we're going to have to see uh, different tactics from him. And that'll be interesting to just see where he can then finish in relation to these others with those different tactics. The one other horse I'll mention in the final is Captain Belisario, who I think if he produced his absolute best that he the potential that he's shown and he could end up uh flopping over and getting into a one one three back the outside and he's a bit closer and they go a bit hard he's the horse that i wouldn't be surprised if he if he won the race at his absolute best i know the opinion uh that jane and noel have got of him and ended the jack law has as well we've seen him run some astounding races before he's the one horse that could improve as well now uh, we don't have a 12.30 news, so I thought we'd do a 12.30 news bulletin with a difference. So this is uh, straight off the top of my head. Australia v South Africa, the second test is underway. Scotty Boland ha- is playing, the great Victorian Scotty, and South Africa are currently 4 for 58 uh, the top four batsmen are out. Boland has one wicket. Green has one wicket. Stark has a wicket. And Labashane has a run out. Kaya Zondo and Kyle Volen are both in. And they're both yet to score. So that is the cricket's update. For weather, we've got two weather reports for you. From Leeton, it's stinking hot. It was 39 degrees here at 9 o'clock. And I'm inside. I don't know what it is outside now. But a weather report from Bendigo, please, Kirsten. It is currently uh, 35 degrees here in Vinigo, so it's hot enough, Toby. It certainly is hot enough. That was the 12.30 news. Uh, If anything else major has happened, uh, uh, unfortunately, we can't give it to you as we are flat out busy here concentrating on the Vic Bread Series. One more section to go, Kirsten. uh, Thanking you for your assistance today off very short notice. Uh, It is the Vincent four-year-old mares and... I'll just scroll through and see if we can find this. The winner of the first semi-final, the beautiful Tough Tilly. And there is a number of great stories tonight uh, on Saturday night. And no doubt Tough Tilly will be one of those stories as well. It's been so well told over so long. And she's been such a great horse. She won this semi-final in a mile rate of 156.9, a lead time of 47.7, which is a very moderate 30.4 lead rate. To be slower than 30 seconds for a lead rate is quite slow. It was Tay-Tay that was in front at 31.4, 29.6, 8 down the back and 27.2. Uh, it was a great call from Dan Malecki. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. tougher, he said, about tough Tilly <laughs> as she as she out-tough Tay-Tay. It was, she was probably faster, really, because it was an 800-metre sprint in, in sense. Uh, Tay-Tay did lead early. Celestial Fragrance... Um, getting the leader's back position, which was the spot to be. Pray Tell was one out, one back, and ran a pretty good race into fourth placing. Uh, tough Tilly, three wide early, two, uh, three wide in the middle stages to uh, the chair sitting parked and just being too good for Tay-Tay, which was no real surprise, but when they dashed home those sectionals, I saw Alex Ashwood leaning over and talking to Kate after the line. I haven't spoken to Alex or Kate, but it was like Alex just went... Well, that's as fast as we could go, and you still beat us. <laughs> it did look like that. And you say it was no real surprise, <laughs> but Tay-Tay actually ran favourite in this race. So, you know, there was yeah, obviously a lot of... Yeah. 
Yeah, dollar fifty-five. So there was obviously a lot of respect um, for, for Tay-Tay, and, and rightfully so. She's been a great performer, you know, just behind Tough Tilly and, and Ladies in Red, and you know some of those other um, nice fillies, you know, in their you know two and three-year-old years, and she was just sort of just off them. And I said earlier, Toby, that you know I like sort of looking at those two-year-old races mm-hmm. and going, oh yeah, you're going to be a nice three-year-old. And Tay-Tay was probably one that, you know, I think she ran in either the bronze or the silver of um, the Vic Bread or it might have even been the Breeders' Crown, the silver of the Breeders' Crown as a two-year-old. And I think she ran third, fourth, somewhere like that. And I thought, no, you you do have a little bit of ability. And she really come into her own at, um, as a three-year-old and was doing a great job running, you know, the thirds and fourths and, you know, sometimes even an eye-catching fifth or sixth um, behind the, the sort of Emma Stewart runners and, you know, she, she headed off to New South Wales, um, Tay-Tay, and ran through the New South Wales Breeders' Challenge. She won the four-year-old mare's division of that. And, you know, Ladies in Red and Tough Tilly stayed here in Victoria and ran through some of those nice mare's races. And this was her first sort of go back with Tough Tilly. And that was probably why she ended up running the favourite. It was just that, you know, she'd had that slightly different form line. She hadn't seen them for, you know, a few months and maybe people just thought that there was an element of improvement and there definitely was. She she still went fantastic. It was a great drive by Alex Dashwood. He couldn't have done any more than what he did. Um, it was just simply the case that, yeah, Tough Tilly was, was just better and it was a, a great effort by her. She sat parked and, as he said, they ran a very quick last half. Um, you know, 26-8 uh, third quarter, 27-2 fourth quarter and Tough Tilly was, was exactly that, just a bit too tough. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with your memory. She ran fourth in the two-year-old Breeders' Crown for Phillies. Uh, and Eva Mateo won the race, who's gone on with it well and truly. And Doug's Babe ran sixth of interest. So it was yeah. a pretty good little form race, that race. Yeah, no, it was. I will take that as memory too because I don't, I don't have that up on my screen at the moment, so I'll take that from memory. But, no, she, she's always been a, a nice filly and quite a, a bold sort of going filly. She's, she, you know, did go through a little bit of a phase to a, of getting a little bit keen and they've had to learn to just let her run with it. Um, it. It'll probably be a little bit of a query with both of these two, Tough Tilly and Tay-Tay, drawn off the second row in the finals because there could be some, some ducks and drakes, you know, about who goes first and who who gets the cover from the other, but um, I think they're both going to have to make a mid-race move um, at some point for their best chances. But, um, yeah, they, they were they were both very good efforts. It was just, as you said, the, the fact that Tough Tilly was just that little bit tougher. Celestial Fragrance was a very good effort um, in that gun position behind the two of them um, into third place. I agree about Pray Tell. It was a great run as well. And even Story to Tell was not a bad effort coming um, running on from the, the back in the field. So, you know... A couple there that, again, you just earmark when they drop down in class. But, yeah, I think despite the draw, I'm probably still leaning towards Tough Tilly in the final. Yeah, I was going to make sure we mentioned story to tell and Jason Ainsworth and Nikki Nana Fakari Miles and Ryan Sanderson. Mm-hmm. And uh, just Ryan Sanderson, I can't go into the detail. One of the great text messages I received from him this morning was uh, very, very funny. But uh, I can tell you about that one privately, maybe cursed the blood time. <laughs> race 12 uh, on Saturday, on Friday night. It was the last race, and it's the last race we will cover as well. It was the Vincent Vicbred Super Series, four-year-old mares. The winner was Doug's Babe, who has been sold to American interests. That's why the ownership has changed uh, temporarily to Sonia Smith 
Anthony Butt taking the drive and will take over the training of this horse, I believe, for the final. Um, she has been sold. It's uh, the agreement between uh, the Bendi, uh, the Ballarat Trotting Club, who who held the syndicate with Jeff Webster. They've always said, if, if you get a really good offer on one of the horses we lease, um, consider it, and, and if you need to take it, you take it for your owner, because Jeff's been so generous at giving this Ballarat Club so many great horses yeah. to race, and uh, and there, there. So I love that um, respect between the two entities, being Jeff and the Ballarat Trotting Club Syndicate. And the offer, I think, was well. I know the offer was too good to refuse. If she was my horse, I would have sold her to a hundred percent. And and the Ballarat Trotting Club Syndicate, whilst disappointed they've lost Doug's Babe, uh, they've had a great run with her, and and no doubt there'll be more. There'll be another Doug's Babe just around the corner for that Syndicate. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, that that's a, a great um, show of respect um, from yeah all involved there. That um, yeah, they just understood that everyone sort of has their own uh, independent interests. And look, we we did have um, on Friday night a few people texting through and and tweeting us and everything, uh, telling us that news. But just because we hadn't had it confirmed by, you know, anyone that was actually involved, we we couldn't mention it. But we were all sort of aware that it it, it had happened, and. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a shame to, to see one of our, our top-class mares heading over to the States, but it's kind of exciting in a, in a way as well. It's always nice to see how our Australian, um, you know, Australian horses do over uh, in the in the US. And, you know, hopefully she goes on and has a, a wonderful career over there. And, you know, I'm assuming that she'll, she'll probably stay over there and breed eventually as well. And it'll be nice to have some Australian flavour in the bloodline. 100%. She won the race at a dollar fifteen favourite from gate one. They went 156.2, lead time of 46.1 quarters in 31-2, 29-6, 28-1 home in 26.8. Doug's Babe winning. I think many people will be taken by the run of Kendi's Butterfly and congratulations yep. to Paul Parsons. He would have been stoked running second in that race. He's had a wonderful year with her as uh, he put her through the APG series too, I think. It had a great result in that as it was a, some sort of combined Colts and Geldings fillies fight. And I think it was the horse that was first past the post for the fillies, so she got a significant bonus for that. Ruby Wingate into third placing. Soho Broadway in fourth. Kakoa was a pretty good run, actually, in fifth placing in silver. Mystique, Mystique sneaking home in a six. Doug's Babe leading. Ruby Wingate behind the leader. Kendi's Butterfly three the fence. Uh, Joe Rocks was three wide early to the chair. Soho Broadway went three wide from about the 1,300 metre mark to the 1,000. And Kakoa, who settled five back on the outside, got to the line pretty good when you factor in 28 one 26.8. Mm being wide late Kakoa, so she might be a sneaky uh, horse that could improve into the final, Kirsten. Yeah, she definitely could be. I think, you know, a lot of people sort of thought that this was Doug's Babe's race to lose, and it probably was, but I think a lot of credit has to go to the fact that she was able to do it when leading, and if you've watched Doug's Babe a lot, um, you know that that's probably not really her go. She's typically more that one, one that tracks speed, and that's why she does so well against Ladies in Red and Tough Tilly and Co because she can follow their speed and she generally, you know, prefers that sort of race pattern rather than leading. There was some scary moments in the score up as well with this particular race, yeah. um, Toby, where she just went and had a little bit of a can-can in the score up and I'm sure Anthony Butt was a little nervous there for a few strides but he got her back down and pacing and um, yeah, she came away actually really good in, in the end and settled nicely and Look, it was fairly similar, 
overall mile rate times of uh, 26.9 and 26, sorry, 156.9 and 156.2 um, between the, the two semifinals. The Doug's Babe semifinal obviously went a little bit quicker over that mile rate. As you mentioned, Candy's Butterfly was super in second and it was a great drive by Michelle Phillips too. And yeah, to come from three back on the pegs and make ground in that last quarter is a, a really top effort. Very exciting time for everyone involved with her. You know, she'll still probably be an outside chance in the final, but she definitely deserves her position in there. Ruby Wingate was a, a great effort also in third. She's another one that's obviously been chasing home those really high-class mares. She really deserves a, a, you know, a nice big win at some point in her career. She's been such a tough year and... This is the, you know, the thing probably for a lot of people is that, you know, you probably thought a few years ago that you had a nice, you know, yearling rising two-year-old yeah, and, yeah. you know, you go to the two-year-old races and you, you meet tough chili and ladies in red and, and everyone else and you're like, huh, I thought I had a nice one, but there's a few that are better than me and probably Ruby Wingate falls into that category that, you know, they thought they had a really nice one and she's just in a very, very tough year probably. If she'd been in any other year, she'd be one of the, the main contenders, but she was also really good there in third place. Soho Broadway was a good effort after seeing Tuff Kakoa, as you mentioned, was good from coming on in the back. And, and Silver Mystique, you know, probably, you know, not, not naturally a horse you would put in, in this sort of uh, quality of field, so she was a, a good effort as well there after sort of settling back as well and running on okay. Yeah, been a stellar crop of two-year-old, three-year-old and four-year-olds this one, and uh, some mares that we've had, what, six, I'll just count them, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve mares have reached a million dollars in their careers. And uh, I don't, that includes when they go to America. Shartin ended up winning 2.6 million. Doug's Babe, and I'm not sure what she's up to, Doug's Babe. She'd be high 100s, I would have thought. Uh, 134,000 and a career mm-hmm. in America where she could potentially earn all sorts of money. Uh, you can see why she's doing it. She stays in Australia. She takes on the likes of Ladies in Red and Treachery over the coming years and Tough Tilly. So it makes it pretty hard. I know my brother and my mother had an interest in horse moments like these, who's in this stellar crop as well. And yeah, she's been re- she's been retired to uh, stud duties. She's she's a very well bred uh, filly, and of course she won or mare, and she won the uh, Queensland Oaks, trained by Jess Tubbs and Greg Sugars, did a wonderful job with her. And it's it's very difficult at the end of of their sort of four year old careers. Uh, what you do with them, you press on, or do, or do you go to start, or do you sell to America? So, the money that gets spent though, Kirsten, I feel, always gets reinvested back into the sport. So Doug's Babe goes out and and there's some money there that can get reinvested in a service fees with with broodmares. There's plenty of these Doug's horses that Helen Plummer's owned across the journey. Yeah, absolutely. I tell you what, though, it wouldn't be... It's a position I wouldn't mind being in, you know, with a four-year-old mare that was handy enough about making that decision about whether you press on or you go to the breeding barn because they're all going to be so well-respected when their progeny do, you know, head off to the sales and you know, even if you manage, if you decided to to keep one, if you weren't interested in selling, you know, knowing what you you had um, in terms of your mare, um, and then that potential input that will go into the foal, um, particularly if the mare's not over raced. I mean, you know, none of, none of these mares have been, but there's a lot of theory mm. in you know retiring mares, you know, before they they sort of had enough, and that that outlay then uh, into the into the foals is really positive and you know, potentially could end up with something that might even be a little bit better than the mare that you've ended up retiring, perhaps prematurely, but, um, 
yeah, it, it's a really yeah. interesting time. I think, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, Tuff Tilly, did she have an embryo transfer done? I think she's actually got a foal on the way. Uh, possibly. Uh, I can look that up quickly and see if she's I, down. I have yep. a funny feeling it would be, it might even no. have actually landed on the ground. Uh, no return from Tall Dark Stranger, 6th of December 2021. No yep, return sorry. from Tall Dark Stranger. So she's tried at least. Yeah, no, well, it, at the very least it would be on the ground. Um, it might just not have had a, yeah, not notified just yet. But that, um, you know, that just means that, you know, people are starting to think about that breeding sort of side of things with these mares. And, you know, I know that there was a little bit of conjecture some people were thinking that that might be what happens with ladies in red. But, you know, her connections have said, no, no, she's she's coming back and racing. And, and that's, you know, her her path at the moment is to stay on the racetrack. But, you know, for some of these mares, that might be just the consideration as they sort of finish up their, you know, age class racing and they head into their five five-year-old careers some of them are going to have to probably run it at Melton you know pretty regularly and you know for some of them they might race in foal for a little bit or some of them might you know head away and and wait for some mares races later in the year but it is definitely an interesting time uh, with these four-year-old mares and as I said I wouldn't mind being in that position Uh, Toby I think it's a pretty privileged position to be in. Now, before we get to our final break, uh, your thoughts on the final on Saturday night, which we didn't quite cover off. Doug's babe should probably lead. Uh, Tough Tilly's going to have to work around them at some stage. It'll be interesting to see what Kakoa does. If she can get off the markers, uh, if she ends up, uh, if Muckinbar Diva comes out, if she's on the markers, does Kakoa get off the markers and get around to the chair and Tough Tilly follow her up? And, and does that make it a little bit easy? Tay-Tay's another horse. She's a very fast horse. If Doug's babe and Tough Tilly do too much work, she's drawn the second row. She might be quite... Can she be close enough to cause any drama? And Prey tells, I think, a horse in the final that could surprise a few. I think she will have mm-hmm. enough speed to work to the front. If she works to the front and hands up to Doug's babe, I don't think she'll be too far away. Gee, I'm really glad you said that because I said that off, uh, off air to Jason Bonington. <laughs> On Friday yeah. night, and he told me I had rocks in my head. So I'm glad, I'm glad that you said that, that someone else agreed with me, that she potentially could go forward, um, pray tell. Look, it's, a, it's probably a race that there's not a lot of natural early speed off the front line, so it's almost the opposite to one of the races that we spoke about earlier. I think... Yeah. Like I I said, I I kind of thought that Praytel would have a little bit of a look at the front. Um, It can sometimes be to her detriment. She can get a little bit hot. But I think, you know, I think that she will get cover from something else at some point and that will hopefully help her settle. That probably is going to be Doug's babe. Um, So I think they'll nearly go across together. And with Praytel having that inside advantage, I think, you know, that's going to be good for her. Ruby Wingate's obviously going to want to try and kick up as much as she can, but I don't. I don't really recall her having a lot of natural early speed. Nikki Nana doesn't. Um, so I think you know, Pray Tell will cross over to the peg first. I think Doug's Pape will then follow, um, and they'll they'll take the leader and behind leaders back. Um, then, like I said, I think that that running line then sort of it'll be interesting who goes first. I probably hadn't really factored Kakoa in um, in that discussion personally, but she probably does need to be part of that discussion. But I think the sort of Ducks and Drakes that could go with Tough Tilly and Tay-Tay, um, you know, sort of depends a little bit on how open up that front line comes. Like, Tough Tilly might just get a, a run through 
um, you know, with some of them trying to ease back and get out of the way, but she also then could be held up in traffic, um, you know, with others easing out um, at that early, you know, not speed, but um, I don't think it's going to be a hot front line, but just trying to get cover or, you know, get tough Tilly in front of them or, you know, whatever it might end up playing out there. Tonight, uh, Sooty Hunts has got uh, the three horse. Uh, Blazing Home beating Shivery. I think Shivery was going to roll Blazing Home. It'll be a great race, the Breeders' Plate tonight. Join me at Leeton if you can, if you're somewhere in the vicinity. Uh, Barrel Boy never won it, but it is still a great race. Have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow with Trot's Life, a big two-hour show as we focus on the Vic Bread Super Series on Saturday nights.